The Mastercast, the official Games Master podcast. You're listening to episode three. Uh, my name is Robin Valentine. I'm the production editor on the magazine, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Ben Griffin. How's it going? Our senior staff writer, and Mr. Matt Gilman. Hello there. Our editor. As you're listening to this, uh, issue 305 is now in shops, uh, featuring Deus Ex's Adam Jensen on the cover, punching the ground. And letting lightning loose everywhere. He does look furious. I don't know if the ground said something to him. Did well, something to him. Uh, actually, if you look closely, it does look like he's punching a Pokemon in the head or not. Kind of. <laughs> oh, hopefully not. not. Hopefully not Poplio. I, I do believe hopefully it is Poplio. Oh, he's the best. He's the seal one. <laughs> we we'll, might get to Pokemon, our favourite starter Pokemon later. Um, Pokemon Sun and Moon, also featured in the issue. But the star attraction is Adam Jensen in Deus Ex. Mm. Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which uh, Mr. Mm. Ben Griffin has been to play. Yes. Um, we've seen a bit of it before in the magazine. For anyone who's not familiar, sequel to Deus Ex... Human Revolution. Human Revolution. Well done. Forgot the name of it for a second there. Um, sort of cyberpunk dystopia. You play basically Robocop. Yeah. Um, but a little cool bit... sunglasses. Little, well, I, arguable <laughs> that those sunglasses are cool, I think, but... He's a slicker, he's a slicker, more agile, um, sort of a cross, I would say, between Robocop and, and Inspector Gadget, maybe. And the Giver. Remember the Giver? Uh, no. Oh, Elbow, yes. Elbow Knives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. Go, go on. So, Ben, you've been playing. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, so Mankind Divided is about uh, the kind of social tensions between augmented humans and non-augmented humans. Uh, augments are basically like cybernetic implants, like metal arms and legs that like kind of disabled people have in the world but they also there's there's tension from people who don't have them because they're they're saying oh you're giving up your humanity and this is not what humans are meant to be and after the incident of the the last game human revolution spoilers for the end of the uh the last uh, game for anyone who hasn't finished yet (laughs) yeah minor spoilers uh so turn off now but a don't turn off <laughs> just, <laughs> just like, maybe skip ahead like 40 seconds or just get over it man because um it came out years ago but there was an event called the org incident where everyone anyone who had a cybernetic implant went crazy and started murdering people so that's why you can kind of forgive the humans for going against the augmented people in this game which like personally something that i didn't really buy before before that because like metal legs are cool well, why would you hate anyone with metal legs? But after the org incident, you can kind of see their point of view. We were um, talking about it in the office as well, how uh, I'd never really thought about it before, but it's a little bit odd in um, Human Revolution because there is all of this like anti, anti-cybernetics like sentiment. And like you look at now, and cybernetics are kind of on their way. Like We're getting there. And there's not really anyone, there's yeah. no one like protesting like, oh, we shouldn't have robot legs Yeah. Um, right now. So in retrospect, it's a little bit weird. But yeah, as you say, if they all started murdering everyone, that would probably change public opinion quite a lot. So that's the general conceit behind um, Mankind Divided. How does it play, though? Well, I went to went to play it. I played two missions. The first, uh, well, I, I played a, a bit set in the Prague ghetto where you have to confront a faction leader. 
another mission set in a Dubai hotel. Mm-hmm. We have to intercept an arms deal. Uh, and both missions were great because they showcased the multiple choices you have in day sex, such as uh, you're, you're in the plane before the Dubai hotel uh, and your military commander says, oh, how do you want to proceed? And you can you can say either loud or quiet and you get a different weapon loadout depending on what you say. And you can also say lethal or non-lethal. So if you say lethal, you get a military, you get an assault rifle. And if you say non-lethal, you get a tranquilizer dart mm-hmm. uh, gun. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I, of course, went with the assault rifle because it was the best. You're not really a pacifist, are you? No, I, I like to kill people. In so, games. In- <laughs> Just to clarify, well, Griffin, not leave, a real murderer. I'll leave that open. Um, yeah, but the, the, what I really liked about uh, Mankind Divided uh, was Breach Mode, um, which is a separate mode. I didn't, didn't see it coming. It was a total, total shock reveal at the event. And it's basically a series of quickfire... Um, hacking heist games that sounds very passive like oh, I'm just going to hack at my computer but it's like it happens in a physical realm and it, it plays um, like Deus Ex but made out of like abstract triangles and like weird geometry kind of, kind of Tron-esque or like the Matrix yes. kind yeah, of, kind of looks a little bit like the old uh, VR missions from Metal Gear Solid yes. on PS1 right? yeah things, things like happen before your eyes like a walkway will extend out of like thinner uh because it all takes place in like a really futuristic computer you're like a really um advanced hacker and you you're in your room this is the setup to the to breach mode you're in your room you put on like a virtual headset and now you can hack into corporate networks and w- what's cool is uh before the game your for the mode starts you're asked to input your name and my name is ben and the hello the hi <laughs> the lady um your your contact is like a, almost like a whatsapp messenger in the game uh about a shadow i think she's called shadow child and she says oh hi ben would you like to hack into some networks so she, she went for shadow child and you went for ben <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not very uh subtle i, pr- I could probably be traced um ben griffin <laughs> from <laughs> and yeah she, she's like and there's moral choice there as well she's like oh why are you why do you want to hack with me? And you can either say, oh, I want the money or I want to topple the government. Um, I'm not sure how that will play in later. But anyway, it's like a quick five series of trials, like no more than two minutes long. You enter a, a network. You have to find these data towers. You press square to hack into them. And then the alarm goes off and you have to leave before uh, you're caught. Otherwise, you sacrifice all the info and data that you've extracted. That's like a simple, simple premise. But then it kind of gets steadily more complex because uh, it throws in like drones and cameras and turrets you have to dodge and the more the better you do the more data you have and the more you can upgrade your character cool but it's your character you like create customize your own character for that mode uh, it's not your character for the main game no no it's not adam jensen at all it's yes yeah, it's, it's a hacker well it's it's the visualization of your hacker character so it's like a it's in first person when you're going to cover it's third person but your character is basically a jumble of triangles so how does this actually like fit in? Is this like a sort of challenge mode uh, separate from the main game, or it doesn't like fit into the main game like directly? No, yeah, it's it's a challenge mode basically. You select it from the main menu, so it's it's not in game, but it does tie into the universe of Deus Ex, which is about you know corporations in the future and shady practices. It, there, uh, there's some kind of competitive element to it as well, right? Like so, you're the, the leaderboards, something like that. Yeah, it's it's actually really smart how they've integrated it. It's, it's single player but you can you can challenge your friends uh, and if you set them a challenge 
and they don't complete it, you get money or like the equivalent credits and stuff. And if they do complete it, they get credits and you get nothing. So it's like almost like a, a gamble. Well, that's cool. Which is quite fun. I'm going to set you guys lots of challenges because I'm going to win. Well, we've already f- discovered that you like killing people, right? So yeah. Presumably these will all be murderous challenges rather than stealthy ones. Well, the the challenges aren't um, often to do with, to killing or it, it's always predicated around data towers. So it's in in what ways can you get the data? How many data towers do you want to get before the alarm goes off? If the alarm goes off and there's extra data towers in the level, are you gonna are you gonna play with fire and and run to that data tower, or are you just gonna collect like bank all your points and then get to the Exit. Okay. Can you do murders in virtual reality as well? Or I mean, if you die yeah, in the, however, if question. you die in breach, do you die in real life? Really? Is the question. Um, no, no, definitively, definitely not. Definitively not. But then the what? Oh, okay. If you if you die in breach, you just have to restart. <laughs> so if you're killing guards and stuff, they're probably fine they're, in they're real just, life. What's interesting about this is everything is analogous to real life. So guards are like virus virus protection, like firewalls. You can put rather than putting bullets in your gun, you put like lag bullets in your gun, and that slows down en- enemies. Praxis kits from the main game are uh, actually called like cheat files and like patches. Game genies. <laughs> yes. Remember game genies? Yeah. 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 Game genies are like from the back of the mag, and you can ring up the hotline. And yeah. yeah. But, well, get... yeah. Or there's that little thing that you like slot into. Your yeah, that was like a card before oh, you put it, it yeah. into the net. So basically, you're 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 using game genies. In, yeah, in, in breach mode, and and they've got really like computer specific names like jump like unlocking the double jump is called like the double jump dot x file. You're loading <laughs> that into your character rather than just upgrading your character. So it's very computer focused. I like also the fact that the like over overview of the map is actually set up like a server. So you're going from one server to the other, and every it it, it makes sense like that the story makes sense in the in the way that you're hacking from a virtual reality computer. It sounds kind of cool. It sounds like a kind of mix of what the stuff that makes Deus Ex great, i.e. Like the choice and all that stuff, with that kind of, um, I guess, very clearly separate kind of leaderboard-centric multiplayer challenge mode style of, of like, contracts mode from Hitman. Is that yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely not meant to replace the the main game. Mm. Um, at, at, at a push, I would say it's about maybe like five five hours long. Right. Um, but it's like a cool little surprise mode, and, and it's definitely... Fun to fun to play in, in bursts. What do you think, Robin? Well, I was going to ask. Do you get a sense that there's a lot of story there? You said there were like moral choices and stuff. Do you think there is much in the way of story there, or is it really just like focused on sort of getting the points and, and getting to the top of the leaderboard? Um, I I think yeah, there is there is a story there um, between missions. Uh, Shadow Child will talk to you for your messenger, uh, and she'll like um, detail bits of the story. Like as far as moral choice i'm i'm not sure if that will actually affect the story or it's just there to justify the the whole whatsapp messenger um aesthetic uh but it's i i, I reckon shadow child is going to have a big role to play because she's very shady as the name suggests <laughs> uh and yeah it might it might tie into the the main game but yeah we'll see how how it goes but there there is some story there well it sort of ties into the main game has this uh, like Adam is 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 tangled up in like conspiracies within conspiracies, and he's like part of this kind of like hacktivist anarchist collective. Yeah. But at the same time, he's working for Interpol undercover, and so it sounds it's like it ties into all of their sort of like 
that that sort of aspect of the story with um i presume you're working for the same organization probably i don't know if you they told you that or not it's uh it's it's all it's all very shady at the moment um maybe you're the bad guys <gasps> i reckon yeah what if Adam's, there's, Adam's like, oh no, someone's hacking into my suit. And then you find out that actually that was you, like, Ben, a couple of hours ago. They can be dead. <laughs> it was ben. ben. Ben in the shadow. Ben's, child. Ben's made my arms fall off. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have picked a better name. <laughs> Tiger Man. That's it, once you pick a hacker name, you're stuck with it for life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, remember well, you can that, remember that. <laughs> you can uh, read all about Breach Mode and um, and Ben's hands-on with the missions, and a little bit of um, a little bit of a taste of something VR-related in DSX as well. Um, oh, but yes. not a huge taste. I don't get your hopes up. Not a massive <laughs> chunk. Just yeah. a tiny little bit of a VR thing. There, there was rumours that um, DSX would be VR-enabled, which is a filthy lie. But there is VR functionality in the game, courtesy of um, benchmarks, which are PC only. Uh, if you don't know what benchmarks are, you basically boot them up and you can see the power of your rig. Um, through your rig? You, uh, PC. Well, you know what a rig is. Your PC. Your oil rig. <laughs> your ship. Um, but the the benchmarks in, in this one are really cool, actually. Um, they're set up at different like um, places in the Day Sex universe, such as Jensen's apartment. You can walk around there in first person and see how well a computer holds up and it tell you your frame rates and stuff. But if you've got an Oculus Rift, um, or I, f- I believe it's on the Vive as well. I know it's definitely on the Rift. Um, if you've got one of those, you can put that on and wander around Jensen's apartment in first person, you know, going up against the wall if you want, um, looking at his cigarette packets, going under the bed in the shower, and all that stuff. Wait, going under the bed in the shower? Wait, wait, wait. I want to rewind. What do you mean going up against the wall? What well, do you mean by that? Well... Is this it, things that you do in your flat? It, in, <laughs> in virtual reality, what, whenever I don the old headset, I'll, I'll go up against the wall just to... Oh, to see if you clip through it, you mean? No, no, just to like look look at it because it's amazing. Well, I mean, the wall? Yeah. What What is so amazing about Adam's wall? <laughs> not, not his wall, but just the experience of having a wall in your face in first person in VR. It, it's like, wow, the wall's actually coming at me. Okay. I mean, you could you can have that experience in real life. Yeah, yeah. yeah but this is that's one it's... of the few experiences. Yeah, I mean, that you can I mean, have... if you've got a wall, right, yeah. in VR, and 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 in on that wall somewhere is a window looking out to like a cyberpunk city of the future. No, man. Are you going to look at the wall? You're going to go straight to the wall. Yeah, it's the it's it's the wallpaper. It's the wallpaper <laughs> of the future that man's interested in. <laughs> I want that wall in my not, face. Not the skybox. <laughs> not even there's not even a poster on the wall or anything. You just. The... Yeah, there there are there are posters. There's like pock marks on the wall, but I'm just all about that wall. I'm all about that wall. But <laughs> there's if you're not in, interested in walls, um, <laughs> there are there are four tech demos in total. Uh, two of them are confirmed. We have got Jensen's apartment, and we have got Collo's apartment, who's a new character. Uh, he lives in Prague, uh, and he's your cyber your augmented specialist, and he gives you new um, augments. Mm-hmm. And his apartment's crazy because he's got like hundreds of. Like cybernetic arms hanging from the ceiling and like a weird chair where he f- f- straps you in. And yeah, you can walk around that in first person as well. Mm. Mm. Um, well, yeah, you can read all about that in our, our issue that's on sale now, 305. Um, we've also got a big review uh, in this issue Doom. 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 Um, I feel like I've been talking loads, but then I did review this, so. Well, I've been playing it as well, so we can chat. Oh, okay. We can chat about it Let's together. Have a chat, Matt. Let's do that. So, like, I, I had a lot of fun. Very, 
very early on when, when I started playing Doom. So Doom is obviously... Um, is it a reboot? Can we say reboot? Yeah, I'd say it's well, a reboot. It's not it a actually, sequel. Well, it kind of is, isn't it? It's, it's more of a sequel than I expected, in that he actually is like, like Doom Guy is back. They kind of establish a lot of fiction around yeah. around Doom Guy's return. I got, I've got to be honest, any of the because a lot of the fiction is uh, kind of siphoned off into like loading screen text or like or like little database entries as you play through yeah. the game, and because the game is so fast, I mean that's the one the one kind of first thing that you you kind of clock is that it's the speed of it all i haven't stopped to like read any of the. you actually should i think it's really good yeah like surprisingly good i mean if you like i've only played the first couple of hours but like if you'd said to me like oh yeah the 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 lore in the new doom game is is quite good i'd be like no that's yeah you're talking nonsense but um no it's actually quite good it's like they like contextualize the like pure insanity of that world Mm. in a really interesting way like like, they imply that they... I don't know if this is developed more further into the story, but in the very intro, they imply that, like, Doom Guy is this kind of almost, like, mythological figure who sort of returns at key points in history to, like, fight the forces of hell, basically. <laughs> and you're sort of unearthed in, like, a big, like, stone coffin. Yeah. And it's like they've they've unearthed you from, like, the wreckage of Mars or something. Mm. Um, and your suit that you wear, your, like, green space armour suit is, like... That's like the prophesized like holy armor of of Doom Guy and stuff. <laughs> and this company, the company on Mars that are like doing all the evil demon summoning, as as like evil companies in Doom tend to do. Yeah, there's like all this information from them about what they've been doing and like their sort of. Um, there's a lot of their like company policy, and it's things like oh, if a, if a demon gets accidentally summoned, if a demon escapes or something and comes after you, just stand still and just allow it to kill you. Because if you try and fight back, your body will get all mangled up and we won't yeah. be able to study it very well. It'll be bad for like, and, and you might, you might like damage the demon, which we might need for like later, like, you know, horrible demon projects. There's a lot of like kind of God. dark humor and interesting mm. stuff in there. So, so that was my little, uh, and, and it's like, um, you're, as you're going through the facility, you'll hear like, uh, voiceovers from like over the intercom. Oh, if you if you find a demon, just uh, see Tracy in HR and things yeah. like that. And like rooms are locked until you purge the de- demonic presence, which is such a weird. Oh, it's um, even better. It's like warning. D- demon levels are at unacceptable yeah. levels, and it's like, what's the acceptable amount of demons? Yeah, like, <laughs> it's like one imp. Oh, that's fine. Don't worry, that'll be all right. Yeah, I, I mean, like they 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 make a shooter like where you shoot, uh, you know. Demons from Hell into a game that makes sense in 2016, which is uh, not at all. Yeah, I guess guess the other thing is, I mean, obviously before the games come out and before people actually get their hands on it, there's a lot of concern, like, there's a lot of love for the old games, you know, obviously, was it 1993 when the first Doom came out? So, like, to make that kind of, to to evoke the the kind of speed and and the... and the feel of those games, but still making them ma- making it relevant to today's audience who have who have grown up with with the likes of Call of Duty and whatever. Um, it's no big, that's, that's, that's no small uh, small task, right? But they somehow have managed it. I mean, it, it, it is incredibly fast, incredibly smooth. And this is weird because I, I I always complain about like cor- or a lot of the time I complain about corridor shooters being too same you've got the same corridors you've got the same kind of environments and Doom is a very linear shooter it's a series of rooms in which you fight demons one after the other right with joined by corridors and the occasional jumpy up uh, traversal bit but 
the variety afforded it, it, it is through the weapons you get, the upgrades you get, the demons you fight. And as as beautiful as the environments look, I said beautiful is the wrong word. As, as, yeah, they're sort of they're actually quite horrible. They're quite horrible. Right? <laughs> um, as as like what as it's very atmospheric, right? As atmospheric as as those environments look, they are like corridors and what what have you. But but doubling down on on the weapons, on the demons, on the on the so the ways that you traverse. Any individual battle battleground, like one one kind of a, one big open room with a bunch of different demons, all requiring you to move around in different ways, is what it lends it that that kind of variety and pace. It's, um, it's always changing. It's always changing. After after every battle, I felt like I had an upgrade that I could put into my suit, or I had like a new weapon that I found, or an upgrade to a weapon, um, or mm. a modification. There's so many different things you can do to change how you fight. I, for instance, I um, I'm quite fond of the um, super shotgun, right. so I modified my super shotgun to have explosive rounds, and you can also upgrade their like capacities as well, such as ammo. So it's not just modifications; you can make your your guns uh, last longer or reload faster. Um, There's no reloading, right? There is no reloading. You've been caught. <laughs> Boom! Filthy lies. Yeah, there, there, actually, that's totally true. There is absolutely no reloading. Um, but I mean, like fire rates and things like that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. that's that, again, though, that's such a good feature. There's no reloading at all. Yeah. Um, because the game's all about speed and and pace. That would totally kill the game. Mm. Um, what what balances it out is the fact that most of your most of your guns start with really shallow clips, so you can't just run around shooting everything. You have to pay attention to how many bullets you've got but then you can just switch out and that that enables the game to let you blitz through all these weapons and use them all really mm. I think the interesting thing is it doesn't make like all of those concessions to modern shooter like ideas like it's it's you can't aim down sights there's no reloading it's like super super fast like it does feel like those old games in a way that like Doom 3 I think was trying to ape other things of the time mm. yeah. instead of trying to be like doom but it's funny we, we had like a couple of people on our facebook uh, and twitter saying you know like um oh i got doom and i got it home and like i couldn't aim down the sights and like it didn't have regenerating health and i took it back the same day wow. you know and like people there's some people going into it like really wanting it to be like a more modern shooter but i think it's much more interesting mm. as it is it's much more faithful as well you can actually aim down the sights of uh the rifle if you mm. put the scope on it so this man needs a lesson. I think aiming down scope is <laughs> a little sorry, bit That sounds really ominous. He needs a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't really. You're just misinformed. Sorry. <laughs> Do you think this, this is like uh, the start of a new wave of old school shooters or old school shooter values, I guess, being uh, being unearthed? Oh, a so bit like, like the Doom guy? But going back on the, the set pieces of COD and uh, the, you know, the, the buddy missions where you're going through with a, a sniper... Uh, and it, or I'm just putting like fast-paced combat back into games. Well, yeah, I'm just thinking like obviously was it a couple of years ago now we had Wolfenstein: The New Order, obviously from uh, Bethesda as well, but but that kind of made me think maybe maybe we're going to see this, maybe we're going to start to see more of these. And it seems like we've got we've got Doom now, we've had Nick Wolfenstein. Do you think there's room really for more of these, or or, or do we kind of have that genre kind of or that kind of Old school revival. Do we do we even want that, or or, or do we ha- are we happy just to get like two or three uh, games? I think that would only work with 
with Doom because like Serious Sam is a is a game that is a series that kind of was was mm. like Doom. Mm. It was going for Doom, and I just didn't feel that it, it pulled it pulled it off. And I was worried that Doom was going to end up like Serious Sam, just feel really like shallow. And uh, yeah, I feel like Doom's the the only game that can actually pull this off. I don't want to see you know Halo or Call of Duty descend into this. Uh, I I agree, and I think that like it's I think the sort of the theoretical world in which there's like um, you know five shooters in the style of and as good as mm, Doom mm, every mm. year. It's like that would be great, but I think the reality is like the thing that Doom that this Doom has done is incredibly difficult to pull off because like for a lot of these like old older um, styles of mechanics and stuff like that, there's a reason that they died out in the first place, mm. and it's because it's much easier to design a game a modern game. In a different way. So, like regenerating health, for example, the reason we have that is because, like, hunting for health packs was actually very tedious at the time. And, like, obviously, this game um, has something called. Are they glory kills? Yes. So, uh, once an enemy is, like, stunned by you doing enough damage to them, you can kind of run up and you can, like, tear their head off and. Um, curb stop them. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of, like, animations, and that kind of regenerates your health. So, you're kind of regenerating your health by, by killing. Hmm. Which is a nice way around that, but it's like it has lots of clever things like that to get around some of those old design problems. But I think, like, yeah, like the like the newer Serious Sam and stuff was basically just like this is just faithful to the original games, mm-hmm. and actually you end up playing it and thinking like, well, maybe those games don't hold up as well as they do in my memory, sort mm-hmm. of thing. You know, it's a good question though. I'm I'm just so so fond of the the modern day like roller coaster first person shooter campaign ride. I I like. Playing a, a a cod every year, and okay, now I'm in space, now I'm on the ground, now I'm a robot. You know, it's it, get, it takes you from one scenario to the other, uh, at breakneck speed. Um, so I'm I'm happy that Doom's back, and it's really faithful to the the '90s game. But I don't want to see it back in broader form. Um, I think it does prove, at least, that you don't like uh, like we can have the Call of Duties and and um, uh, you know these very directed. Um, linear shooters with these very set conventions and we can also have like a reboot of Doom and they can both be mm. you know fun things that do really well I think like it does prove that we could maybe have a bit more variety than we have right now yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it, like it felt like for quite a long time especially when we were in that sort of period where it was like oh everything's a first person shooter it did feel like oh okay if you're doing a third person sh- if you're doing a first person shooter it's got to have aiming down sights. It's got to have regenerating health. It's got to have this. It's got to have that. Like no question. Like, mm. like obviously you reload in in a first person shooter. How could we make a first person shooter where you don't reload? That's madness. But it's like, it's like so. There's like there's these certain conventions that no one's ever questioning. Mm. So it's nice to see like maybe this will encourage people to yeah. uh, to do something a little bit different. Um, I think like Overwatch, which is we probably don't want to get into another like Overwatch discussion. Oh, we're going there. We're going there. But Overwatch, Overwatch. is a, Overwatch is another game that I think actually is quite an old school shooter because it, it's 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 very much a take on like Team Fortress Two, which mm-hmm. itself was quite old school at the time. And that was like, I mean, when did Team Fortress Two come out? Like two thousand five or mm. something? Two thousand and six. Okay, we we were making a guess. Two thousand and seven. Readers, if you know uh, when Team Fortress Two came out. Uh, we'll, you, we could probably just look it up. We don't really. I mean, yeah. I don't want to use our readers as like a sort of living Wikipedia. I do. That'd be amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you just call them up. Just, just tweet them, them every so often. Um, so that review you can read in this issue in three hundred five, um, and you can see Ben's score, Ben's final thoughts, 
Yeah, and my thoughts on the multiplayer, which I also very much enjoyed, because it's like Quake. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there are more thoughts on that multiplayer, and also the snap map feature. Oh, sorry, um, yeah, that's another really great mode that lets you edit maps and create your own game types, such as a farming simulator that someone's made and like a Harvest racer. Harvest Doom. Harvest Doom, yeah. Feels like a title first, concept second. <laughs> that was an amazing project. Part. I'm still, I'm kind of down with it. Anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's so versatile. But yeah. But uh, from a review in this issue to a review in next issue, uh, it, our next issue is um, 306, which is out on the 14th of July. Um, and I'm, uh, we're working on it now and I'm currently reviewing the Witcher 3's latest expansion, Blood and Wine. Mm. Actually, I should have gone for a blood segue, shouldn't I? From, from blood and blood to blood and wine. <laughs> um, that's, that's really good. Um, Use that. <laughs> well, for what could have been. But, uh, uh, yes. Is, so, is there a lot of blood and wine in this expansion? I mean, it doesn't disappoint in that area. There is a lot of blood and a, Really surprising amount of wine. Ooh. There is a lot of Ooh. wine involved in the story. There's just generally not enough wine in video games. <laughs> if you if you've ever been concerned that your video games don't have enough wine in, this is the game for you. <laughs> um, uh, wine is used to solve mysteries. Uh, wine, you get your own vineyard. Um, I should, oh, that looks amazing! Yeah, I should uh, I should backtrack a little bit. Um, so, The Witcher Three came out last year. Games Master's Game of the Year. Um, uh, phenomenal open world RPG. Um, certainly my favourite game of last year. Um, I've played sort of coming up to like 200 hours of this game at this point. Um, getting a thumbs down from Griffin for that for that amount of time played. Why, why is that a thumbs down? Oh, well, I want to support GM and stand behind all their scores, but I just thought Witcher was boring. But anyway, this is not about me. This is about Robin's Griffin, a, a terrible traitor who doesn't like <laughs> Witcher 3. But although we did decide that before he became a permanent staff writer. <laughs> oh, I, I am a traitor. Maybe things would have gone differently. Um, so there's been... Uh, we've previously had an expansion for the game called Heart of Stone, which I think is one of the best pieces of DLC ever made for any game ever. It has an absolutely phenomenal story. Like, probably the most kind of conceptually interesting of any like fantasy RPG. Um and they but it was it was about and it was big, it was about ten hours long. But the developers have been saying for a while the next one is gonna be the last one and it is going to be massive. And um Blood and Wine is now here and it is massive. It's like a whole new area for the game um called Toussaint. Um so Geralt travels to this idyllic, like, Mediterranean country called Toussaint, where everyone's obsessed with wine. Um, uh, and, yeah, so it's a whole new area. It's a new main quest line, which is self-contained, as the one in Heart of Stone was, um, and, like, full of side quests, full of full of extra little things to do and stuff. And very much feels like the kind of, here's, here's your last late-game bit of content. It's like, here's, you've got your really leveled-up character... Um, I don't think you can even get into the DLC unless you're like level 40 or something, which is like pretty high um, for The Witcher. So it's basically, you finish the main game, you've probably finished the other DLC. Here's a last little playground to like play with your really overpowered character, uh, use up all your huge stores of gold, and just sort of... Uh, very much feels like it treats you like you're a big, powerful character doing like big, important things. And... And yeah, so you come, you come to Toussaint to fight the, well, to track down and stop the Beast of Beauclair. Which sounds, is, sounds delicious. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking of a class. Sorry. Uh, he's a sort of um, basically a sort of serial killer who's killing knights who don't embody the like five chivalric virtues. Um, and this country of Tucson is is very much like obsessed with kind of knightly honor, and and they kind of have like a fairy tale tale sort of twist to them where. They kind of interpret it like The Witcher is a very Witcher's world is a very grim world, and like The Witcher Three is a very grim setting. Mm. Uh, and this feels like a setting where everything is just as grim, but people just don't interpret it in the same grim way. So, like, you come into the first area, and there's this huge giant, and and you have to kill him because you're a Witcher and he's a giant. And in like the base game, I feel like it would be like, oh yeah, that's like this horrible giant who comes and like eats our children every year, and like. Uh, you know, it, there would be some like incredibly upsetting backstory to him, and mm. all the all the characters would be talking about how he makes their life hell and stuff. And in this, it was like when he appears, all these knights are like desperate to have a fight with him to prove their honor. And and then after you kill him, they tell stories about like, oh yeah, he was a he was a famous knight who uh, who who went back on his vows, and uh, the gods cursed him to, to to being a giant, and he he went off into the the hills. Um, but I've got to kill him to like prove to my lady love. That, uh, um, that I'm like worthy of her affections and stuff. So it's a bit of a different, a bit of a different tone. It feels like a nice sign-off. Uh, I mean, it feels like, I mean, uh, speaking as someone who has yet to finish the actual main story, I thought I had finished it last night. You got a way to go. It's it's so much of it, and I've kind of said I'm not going to play any of the DLCs until I if, until I finish the main story. It does feel like, like this is a, a big, big sign off uh, piece to kind of put the whole thing to bed with and, and, and just kind of keep you going I guess for the next what like ever because <laughs> there's not going to be any more of it well yeah they have officially said there's not going to be any more Witcher DLC um, or there's not going to be any more Witcher full stop in theory there's not going to be any games there's not going to be anything this is their full stop on the Witcher franchise mm. which is a bold move I mean this is the franchise that has made CD Projekt Red basically although I suppose now they have um uh, CD Projekt Red runs good old games. They probably have some sort of reliable, mm. similar to Steam. They probably have some sort of reliable income from that that they can then use to um, support themselves. But oh, um, plus it's Obama's favourite game as well, so they they must make a Witcher Four. You found, there was a picture of him receiving a copy of it, wasn't there? Yeah, I don't uh, think he ever actually yeah, played I, it. I think it, we we actually interviewed uh, CDP a while back. I thought you would say we interviewed Obama. <laughs> no, I was like, when no. did that happen? Well, you know, one day, one day. Um, and they were saying that the last they heard he hadn't actually played it yet. Um, so, oh, probably sat on a shelf gamer. in the, in the White House somewhere, in a back room with a bust of Churchill. I bet, I bet Michelle plays it. But as Michelle you say- is his wife. <laughs> if you didn't know. <laughs> I think people probably know who Barack Obama's wife is, but, um, as you say, it is a bit of a send-off. It reminds me of, um, Mass Effect. Had its yes. Citadel DLC, yeah, that was yeah. amazing. which which like was a really extreme example of that, where like it really didn't fit the story at all. It didn't really fit into the timeline, but it was basically just them being like, "Let's just have one last big adventure with all our mates." Yeah, and and like this doesn't have it doesn't have that aspect of like, "Oh, here's all your old friends together again." Mm. But it, it feels like it weirdly feels like Geralt's retirement because you're like going to this kind of Mediterranean. Uh, you basically you're you're going to France and then like you get a vineyard 
and <laughs> and it's all like beautiful and sunny where like Novigrad was all like kind of muddy and cold like it it feels like Geralt is like he's he's it's like an expat retiring to France and settling down uh, uh, in, in a nice vineyard um but obviously he's got to like get a visa he's got to kill a bunch of monsters first that's how he that's how he's going to get his visa is uh he's got to kill a bunch of monsters clear out all the local vineyards and stuff but yeah and it, it it feels like it's like the problem a lot of late game DLCs have a lot of like post game DLCs have I feel like is they kind of they don't build themselves for you having like a really like an end game character like a lot of games like like open world games and RPGs and stuff are built around um you're always trying to get that next little upgrade or you're trying to unlock that next bit of the city or you know there's 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 all these little things to keep you going and then you kind of run out of those things by the end of the game uh, and then it's like hey want to play another 2 hour mission and you're like you don't really have any like motivation and it feels very easy because mm-hmm. they haven't really tooled it for you having all these upgrades and stuff like this feels like every step they're like what is going to be like a problem that a top level player is going to have let's solve that problem and make it fun again so it's like because of the leveling system in the in the witcher 3 once you get to really high levels, you always have an overabundance of like character points that you can't actually use for anything. Hmm. So they so they put in a new leveling system that uses up all of those. Um, and it's like, oh, here's a crafting ingredient that you probably have loads of. Here's a use for it. Here's one you probably never really found any of. Here's a way to get it or to like convert other ingredients into it. Hmm. Um, here's like swords that are actually better than the swords that like you know usually you get a quest quest reward in an RPG for, and it's like, oh, here's Here's a sword that's been in my family for three generations. Yeah, I had I literally had that last night with um with one of the dudes on Skellige. He's he he looked so sad that he was giving me this sword. Yeah, and he I I think as my my Garrett was like, look, you don't have to give me this sword. It's all right. And he's like, no, no, you you need this. And he gave it to me, and I just opened the menu, and it's like, oh, it's like eleven points weaker than my currently equipped blade. Oh, it just goes into the backpack, and I never never look at it again. Yeah, I and mean, you probably just like sell it. Yeah, and I was I, I just kind of want to give it back to him and be like, no, no, no. Can, yeah. Can you chuck it on the floor in front of them? And just walk away. You uh, could do that, probably. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Um, as well, wow. That's yeah. Crushing. So I mean, so in this one, it's like like the swords you, you, that happens, and then you're like, oh wow, this sword is incredible. But even if it isn't, you can go back to your villa, and you can like just hang the swords on the walls. Or you can like put oh, armor on racks and stuff. Paintings up on yeah, there and you as get well. like paintings. You get trophies that you can put up on your any, shelf. Any that. sword, any sword you can put up on the wall. Um, I love decorating your own base. So yeah, I found okay. this. Uh, I found this like suit of armor that was like um, uh, it's kind of implied to be like the armor of some ancient vampires, or maybe like the servants of the ancient vampires or something. Mm. But it was kind of like this really sort of um, uh, like evil-looking black plate armor with this like. Uh, thin sort of dark sword and um, you like gain uh, health as you hit enemies or something but it was like heavy armor and it wasn't really as good as my witch gear so I was like I'm not going to use this but um, but because I've got like an armor stand I can like put it up on my armor stand and it's like it doesn't go to waste whereas I feel like in the witcher uh, in the witcher base game because of the witcher armor system and the witcher swords and stuff it felt like basically like here were the, it- here were the items you're actually going to use and then here's like 500 armor and swords that you're never going to use, mm. that you're just going to like throw away. So uh, yeah, it feels like it gives you something to do with those. So uh, yeah, I'm always down for like say decorating your own home base or like displaying all your all your stuff 
for people to see. Yeah, and the vineyard's got. I mean, it's basically it's, it's designed as like a gold sink. Like, oh, have you got twenty thousand gold from finishing the end of The Witcher Three? Here's something to spend it on, and it's like. You can paint your house. You can do up the guest room. You oh, can, you know, wow. it's like it's like Animal Crossing. But to, to the, do you have neighbours? You don't, but you. Well, I mean, there are people who live near you, but you can get um, you can get people to live. I won't spoil how, but you can get people to live in the vineyard. So like, Ooh, so, so it like, well, like, no relationships. No, it's not. Um, it's not like cool your boots. Um, <laughs> my my Geralt is like faithful to his uh, uh, to his hmm. magic girlfriend anyway. Hmm. Which is actually, uh, like, he talks about it in this one. In the last DLC, it was kind of like, it felt like, um, like, oh, Geralt's just not going to talk about, like... Because there was a romance option in Heart of Stone, and it felt like Geralt... It, it felt like it was almost taking place out of time, where it was like, <laughs> oh, Geralt's, like, not beholden to his previous relationship. What right now. But in this one, he's like, it's like, actually, I'm... I'm <laughs> happily settled down. <laughs> well. um, my flawless impression of Geralt. Oh, that's more Gerald. Uh, <laughs> that's Gerald, yeah. That's his brother. Gerald of <laughs> Rivia. Um, but yeah, you can, like, so, I mean, this doesn't actually happen, but for example, you might, like, rescue someone from a monster and then they, and then be like, oh, do you want to come and live at my vineyard? Mm. And you have a steward who, or, uh, what's he <gasps> called? What do they call him? Um, Is he basically Alfred? Yeah, they, he's called, um, Geralt calls him BB. I think his name's, like, Basil something, but Geralt calls him BB, and he's, mm. like, this kind of very sort yeah, of uptight butler-type character who looks after the vineyard when you're not there. That's, 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 that's a weird thing that happened the other night as well. I think, it was, it, like, when I was playing, uh, like, towards the end, you're, like, meeting up with several characters. This isn't the base game. Meeting up with several characters who you'd spoken with before, and I met with the shape-shifting guy in, in, um, in the city. Oh, uh, doo-doo. Doo-doo, right? Yeah. And then there was, like, a little cutscene, like, showing, like, this little animated cutscene showing you how, like, this story is resolved kind of thing. And it was, like, this kind of epic na- narration, like, talking about, oh, going back in the city, da 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 And then it just finished with, like, and so ended the story of doo-doo. Like that. And I just thought, who named that guy? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know, they say BB, like, what? Uh, this some sort of absurd naming, naming system. I f- yeah, I feel like, uh... Well, I think part of it is that um, obviously the Witcher books are written in Polish, mm. um, and obviously in different languages, like different names and words don't sort of carry the same like right. like sounds and connotations. Um, uh, and like the Witcher games are like weirdly faithful to those books, to the point of like I think they did a good job with it in The Witcher Three, but in The Witcher Two there was quite a lot of like, who is this guy? Like, yeah. what's going on here? Uh, in The Witcher 3, they do a lot of, like... And in this DLC as well, actually, they do they do a lot of, sort of, um... Like, Geralt knows someone. You don't, but Geralt does. Mm. But then the game kind of knows that you don't. Mm. And it's, like... I think it's one of the first RPGs I've played where it, it introduces information to the player without doing that thing of, like... As you all know, the elves invaded and... You know, it doesn't just... Or, or have your character just be like an, an amnesiac or like mm. a backwards farm boy or something. Yeah, you know, I mean, like... it, it feels like it feels like there was a world before the game started. It feels like there will be a world after yeah. the game ends, and and the, yeah, the Gerald, 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 Gerald is is was a part of it then, and will be a part of it going forward. Right, you get this sense of of it all moving, regardless of whether you're playing it or not. It, it feels like in this one. Uh, in this DLC, it gives them a bit of a chance to sort of shortcut the boring parts mm. of, of um, so because you know quite a lot of new characters are introduced. But if you can kind of just be like, oh well, Geralt already knows these two, and he mm. already knows, then it, 
uh, so for example, you already know the Duchess of the uh, of Tucson, who has hired you. Basically, she's the queen of Tucson, but um, because Tucson is a duchy, she's the Duchess. Uh, and uh, yeah, so she already knows you. There's already an implied backstory between you, so you don't have to have like, oh, here's like three quests where you're just like earning the trust of the Duchess or right. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it's, I feel like it's the it's it's like the first RPG, one of the first RPGs I can think of where it feels like characters actually respect like what you've done and and like who you are. Like it feels like a, like a lot of RPGs. It's like oh, I've saved the world, and people are still like, oh, can you go and like fetch this letter for me. I don't know who you are. <laughs> like um, in this, it's like, oh, it's the famous Geralt, mm. um, and you still get asked to do like trivial things. But it's like, um, like, oh, here's a, like a bored nobleman who's got more money than sense, and he's like, I want the famous Geralt to accompany me while I do wildlife photography or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but uh, I, I'm I'm like um, not a fan of the The Witcher, uh, and I haven't. I haven't played it uh, at all. I do like the, the sound of this DLC, but um, like the way you describe it, you have to be quite a high level. So it's it's not actually good for people just coming into The Witcher. You have to have have played it for multiple hours. Well, yeah. you can. Um, so I think you're right and you're wrong. Like one of the things is that you can you the game will create a high level character for you if you don't have one. Oh, okay. But. Um, so with Heart of Stone, Heart of Stone did that as well. And with Heart of Stone, I think Heart of Stone is like very self-contained and actually works really well as just like a ten-hour like standalone RPG. Um, That's but, what I would love. But I would say that um, that this one is one for people who have played through the game. I think because it, I think if you came into it and you just had the game create a character for you, there would be a lot of mechanics and stuff. I think it would be a bit overwhelming, basically, where yeah. you'd be like, it's systems stacked on systems stacked on systems, which only makes sense if you've like gone through all those systems gradually over time. I mean, to be frank, I mean, if you didn't like the the main game, like the chances are you're not going to like the you know the, the reward for people who have played it. Well. Sucks to be you. It's the only game I can think <laughs> of where you have. Uh, this is a true statement. Are there any other games where you've owned a vineyard? Mm, I don't think so. Produced your own wine? I don't Do you actually are. produce your own wine in the game? Yeah, yeah. You have a wine. Oh my god. Um, What's it called? I can't remember what it's called. I mean, you're. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. But BB like describes it to you in great detail. Um, Do you? Can you like choose the like? Oh, you don't like. You're not deeply involved in wine production. Okay. It's just it, the grapes. It, it, it's just like oh, the vineyard. It's basically kind of. They hand wave away a lot of stuff, and they're kind of like, it's kind of implied like, oh, the vineyard makes this wine, and that produces a bunch of gold that you don't really see, and then that gold is probably used to pay like all of these servants who who right. work on the vineyard and stuff, and like pay like BB and pay for like um you know things like that, and then you just sort of dump gold into it for renovations and stuff. Right. Um, I do like the sound sound of the witcher. Like when I hear people talking about it, it just, it just felt really um, overwhelming to me. And plus, I'm playing Overwatch, so I can't. Did you actually play any of it? I I played about five hours of, of The Witcher right. three, ten hours of The Witcher two, which is a lot of hours for something that I didn't get any enjoyment out of uh, whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, it's, some people do seem to just bounce off The Witcher three. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's a good game. It's probably just not for me. Uh, I I also was not a fan of The Witcher two, and like Witcher one is very hard to go back to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think like I yeah, I really didn't like The Witcher two. I felt like it was. Um, Witcher 2 had this thing where it was like your choices really matter and they really did in that there was a choice you could make in that game that like 
changed the entire second half of that game mm. into a completely different thing. But it felt like they made a lot of sacrifices for that, if you know what I mean. Like, like the result of that was they just didn't have the resources to make either side of it really yeah, good. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, isn't it? Whenever you whenever you're whenever you are like splitting the the gamers up into into those huge momentous choices, you're essentially cutting off half of the game for for half of the players. Yeah, um, I remember having a similar thing with was it New Vegas? Was it Fallout New Vegas? With all the factions in there, mm, yeah, and like, Caesar's faction. And if you wanted to actually see the whole game, you you wouldn't be able to see it all in one playthrough. Yeah, you would have to start a new character from the beginning and go and aim for each individual faction. There were like four or five different factions in that yeah. game with like main main quest line stuff. And so even if you do everything you can within one like I don't know five hundred six hundred hour character playthrough of the game. You know, in the back of your head, that you haven't seen the whole game. Uh, that kind of stuff, I'm not too. But concerned. then, in in the same way, if if you have a game where your choices don't matter and and everyone's journeys end up in the same destination, then people get annoyed that oh, my choices weren't impactful. Well, this is the thing. I mean, the, the the sweet spot is when you when you have a game which gives you effective choices and the illusion of those choices having a momentous effect on your direction or, or or the actual content of the game, but which actually doesn't. Mm. Um, like The Walking Dead did that. Yeah, well. exactly. exactly well, I, th- I think as well, games get caught up in wanting your, in wanting to make it so that your decisions have these like really like dramatic, far-reaching consequences. Like, um, like Mass Effect has a lot of like, oh, if you choose this, then this entire species goes extinct, and if you choose this, then they like take over the universe or mm. something. And then in Mass Effect Three, like, like you'd make that decision in Mass Effect Two, and then in Mass Effect Three, they'd have to be like. Oh um, well, uh, it sort of just worked out the same either way for some reason. Yeah. Um, whereas I think what The Witcher th- uh, Three does really well, and like what some of the Telltale games do quite well, and some of them do not so well, is like it should be about like how characters feel about you and the kind of the directions you send other characters in, and like like small scale, like personal Ooh, kind of stuff. There, there was a little um, a story I read that in. As The Witcher Two, you could go to a pub and get drunk, and then get tattooed. And that tattoo carries across to The Witcher Three. So yeah. if, if you mm. did that, you'd actually be tattooed. I think like little things like that really. I mean, I, I'm not talking necessarily as small scale as that, but I think little things like that as well. Like really, I, I feel like you. I'm happier when when like a few little decisions come back to me in like a little interesting way, rather than like sitting there expecting like, oh well. You know, the the next game should be like two entirely different games based on like who I sided with in this war mm. or something. Uh, like the Bloody Baron quest, I think, is the perfect example where it was this quest in The Witcher Three that that people really connected with, and and that quest is actually even though you're looking for Siri and Siri is this kind of multiverse saving important character, that quest is actually just like about like how what does the Baron think of you? What do the Baron's family think of him? Do, do the fam does the family get back together? Can the Baron like make up for his mistakes? Like, is he a good person? Is he a bad person? Like, mm. which do you think he is? What does he think of himself by the end of it? Like, does he think he's a good person or a bad person? And the consequences end up being like very small things, just like you know, does this character live or die? And you know, if they live, you probably aren't really going to see them again anyway. Mm. But that feels so much more impactful to me than like. Will the bloody Baron win this war to conquer this country? Yeah, you know? I mean, it's funny you mentioned the little things as well because um, 
because I remember obviously the Bloody Baron quest is quite early on in the game. Yeah, it's, it's, like one of, it's one probably the first, the first like major quest. And then you're still like having little reverberations from that, like pe- people referring to that quest, like thirty, forty, fifty hours later mm. in the in the main quest line, people talking about the events of it. And it's just those little nods to to your, I guess, active role in in the world, rather than, like you say, big sweeping kind of cutting swaths of of game away from you for for not making the right choice order. This uh, this DLC does a good job of doing a few little. I mean, again, it's like really simple things. Like there's there's um, there's a character in it called Regis who is. uh, Again, I think he must be a character from the books because there's a lot of like implied backstory. But there's just a moment where he's just like, do you want to just, like, we've got to wait for this thing to happen. Do you want to just sit down and just drink some vodka? And you just sit down and have a drink with him. And he's just like, oh, so did you ever find Siri? And, you know, based on what happened at the end of The Witcher 3, like, mm. Geralt's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, this happened, this happened. And, uh, I mean, it wasn't quite the same thing. But I think Uncharted 4, it was like a nice touch as well in that, where it was like, it was kind of asking, like, which of your, which of your adventures as Drake are you, like, most proud of mm. which do you look back on most fondly let's just have a little think about it you know and it's just that's just quite nice yeah mm. like yeah it doesn't have to change the the game it's it, it more um like trades on what memories you want to um re revisit mm. Mm. um well if you want to revisit your witcher 3 memories <laughs> um uh, i think blood and wine is a really good way to do it but you can read my um my full review in issue 306, on sale on the 14th of July. Now, we are, as you're listening to this, you'll be deep, everyone will be deep in the throes of E3. We are recording this just before E3, but I thought we could try and make our own predictions as to what uh, is going to happen. And then we'll be sort of immortalised, either being <laughs> like prophetically amazingly correct or completely stupidly wrong. That uh, never happens. We're always correct. So, Matt, what is your prediction? Like, say that one thing that you predict is going to happen at E3. <sighs> this is really hard, because obviously I know certain things will happen. <laughs> You've got insider knowledge. <laughs> I do. So, I mean, I, I could just cheat and say something that I know is going to happen. Mm. Oh, and by the time they, they hear this, yeah. you wouldn't have broken any I would not have broken any embargoes. That but would make you seem, you know, very pressing. on the ball, yeah. But I guess what I should probably do is say something that I don't know is going to happen, but that I hope is going to happen, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to see Prince of Persia. So do I. Yes, I would love to see yeah, that, yeah. I, 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 I don't know that it's going to be there. You might all know that it hasn't happened or has by now, the time you listen to this, but I... I well, there was, Were you there a fan is a... of uh, 2008's Pop? I love that game. So did I. I, I did as well. Is yeah. that, that's the one with... Uh, was it Elica? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think we are the three hand. people in the world who love that game because <laughs> oh, it's it got so nice. Nolan North played the prince. Yeah, yeah. I think as well that ending has. Um, I think the game, that game's ending is one of the best. It, in I games. mean, it was two thousand eight, right? So yeah. we don't have to worry about spoilers too much. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? If you don't want spoilers for Prince of Persia two thousand eight, then skip ahead. I guess. <laughs> but, uh, um, I thought it had a very, very clever ending. Yes, so I some do people think were so as well. annoyed with it because they said it was a, a cliffhanger and you only got the real ending through the DLC. See, I never played the DLC, and I felt I mean, no, that, that ending. Not, well, that's yeah. not. That's just not true. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, it's, it's... I, I can understand people being annoyed with it, but I think like what what happened, by the way. So, to sort of for anyone who hasn't played it but it doesn't care about them, spoilers. Who wants a bit of context? Um, basically, you spend the whole game kind of purging this um, corruption, which was let in by um, 
the uh, the king of this country for some reason, and then you find out the reason is because he wanted to bring his daughter back, who is this character that you spend the whole game with, and who is like... Do I think they do a really good job of sort of building your relationship with her? Because it's like, if you fall off a ledge, you don't just die. Like, she pulls you up and, like, stuff like that. Mm. But basically, you find out that, that, that all of this evil is a result of her being brought back to life by the king. And um, when you finish purging all of the evil, she dies. Because that was what brought her back. Mm. Yeah. And then, basically... Um, so you spent the whole game kind of purging these areas one by one. And you could purge them in whatever order you wanted and sort of purify them. And then you, she dies, and you, and your character sort of realizes that that he was cares her the whole game. Well, that he cares about her that deeply, and he basically goes back and just undoes everything that you did in the whole game. He, the game just sits there, and it's like, it's like right now, go and now go and completely screw over all of the good work that you did, and just make everything horrible again, and uh, and you do. And you just sort of walk off into the sunset, which yeah. I thought was an incredible way to end, mm-hmm. uh, like a AAA, like mainstream yeah. video game. Really brave, like a very um, uh, kind of dark, impactful ending. Kind of asking, like, what would you sacrifice for yeah, the people it, that you love? And but stuff? it means it actually means something. Yeah. It's not just like there you go, credits roll. Now you know. Yeah, it's not just like oh, I saved the princess, and now everything's fine. Yeah, it's like you saved the princess at what cost? Yeah, yeah, so, brilliant. So, do you want a revisit to 2008 pop, or do you want like Sands of Time style? It's not going to happen, though, is it? Because ultimately, as good as it was, like you said, we are the three only. Yeah, three that game didn't sell well, and, and it was it did terribly. Yeah, it was forgotten. Um, so by it's time. not going to happen. Ironically, um, lost in the Sands of Time. Oh, well done. Thanks. Um, <laughs> no, I. I I would like to see just like a complete re, re vamp, vamp reboot mm. of the of the whole thing. Uh, it would, it, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if now that we've got like Assassin's Creed movies coming and and there's you know there's a uh, what's the one with Jake Gyllenhaal rumored to be in? Oh, it? that was the Sands of Time that came out. Like... No, no, no. The um other Ubisoft IP that's being made into a film, uh, the Division, uh... Division. Oh yes, with yeah. uh, yes oh. with, with Jake uh, Gyllenhaal. Isn't yeah, it? but like obviously they did a Prince of Persia film, which I it's actually pronounced was... Howell. I don't believe that's correct. But, what did uh, I say? Well, he said Gylan Howell, which is definitely not correct. <laughs> what did I say? You said Gyllenhaal, which I believe is correct. It is correct, right, okay. Don't right. let Griffin... Um, it's if, you, if you know the uh, exact perfect way to pronounce Jake Gyllenhaal, please write in to... Or, or uh, Gylan Howell. <laughs> write in to gamesmaster.futurenet.com. If you are Jake Gyllenhaal... <laughs> um, what, what was I saying? You were talking about the movie. Completely derailed my... Don't okay, me. right, so the Prince of Persia film yep. was, 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 was actually quite good. Well, uh, Matt Matt is the one. So we are the three who like <laughs> Pitch Purge two thousand eight. He is the one who liked that movie. Well, I haven't seen it. It was good. It, it had but... ostrich racing in it. It was good. It, it, uh, yeah. Right. What was I saying? Right. So it would not surprise me if they rebooted Prince of Persia and started talking about a, a new Prince of Persia film as well. It's a big brand for Ubisoft. Yeah, still. Bring it back. Unless you have. In which case, yeah, well done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I just I really miss. Uh, it's the thing that I think Assassin's Creed has lost, and it feels like a big missing chunk of Assassin's Creed is I really like that kind of um, that style of like third person platforming like parkour yes, yes. whereas Assassin's Creed has just reduced it like when Ass- Assassin's Creed 2 was basically like a Prince of Persia open world game with mm. like stealth and stuff but like over time it's just been like they've chipped away at that climbing system until in in Syndicate you literally you're just holding a button mm. and your character just does whatever there's like there's a there's, there's a grappling hook which is basically yeah Skip the climb. Skip the climb. Yeah. So that that sense of like you go into a room in 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 the old 
Prince of Persia trilogy, the camera would go look at something up there, up in the up in the top corner of the room, and you'd be like, "How are you going to get here?" And it would slowly pan and 360 around the room, showing you all the working mechanisms and bits and bobs, and then it would slowly come down to where you are and say, like, "Right, what are you going to do? How are you going to get up there?" Yeah, and it, yeah, you'd like actively look around. And the original Assassin's Creed had some of that, where it would have like a viewpoint on the top of like a cathedral, and it would say, "How are you going to get to that viewpoint?" But yeah, like you say, since then it's been watered down into, into yeah, just press forward on your, on your, on your analog stick. Yeah. So yeah, I'd like to see a print turn of Prince Persia. Mm. Have you got a prediction, Ben? I actually, um, well, it, up until last year, I stopped making big ambitious predictions because all my predictions never came true. It's like, oh, Last Guardian, that's never going to happen. Uh, Shenmue, that's never going to happen. And then suddenly, last year... You should year, make less negative predictions. Well... N- oh, sorry, you mean you predicted they were going to happen no, and then no, they no. didn't? I, I, I lost all my optimism because my predictions never came true. Right. For like 10 years, all the things I wanted never came true. And then suddenly last year, you got Shenmue, you got Last Guardian, and you started believing that miracles could indeed happen. <laughs> um, and now I'm actually going to predict... Um, some more miracles, such as F Zero GX, that could come back. Good F Zero, it would be the third one, I believe. Uh, if they put that on the Wii U, it would look uh, amazing. We need new F Zero. The last one came out in two thousand four, I believe, or two thousand two. Yeah. I mean, it'd be, I would be surprised because Nintendo have said prior to the show that they're not going to show. It. They're not. No, they said that they're not having any thing playable other than Zelda. Yeah. But they will show other things. And they've said what else they're going to be showing. Nothing there that's not already known. There's usually one or two new announcements at E3, but... It, I mean, oh, come on, it needs, a, it needs a comeback. But if if I was going to be a bit more realistic with my predictions, hmm. I would say Splinter Cell. The last one was Conviction... Um, uh, Blacklist. That, sorry, yeah, Blacklist. That came out in 2012 or 2013. That was a was proper, of, like, yeah. like, I remember when Conviction came out, but when Blacklist came out, it was properly one of those games that, like, came out, no one talked about it, nothing it's, happened. It, but it's a, it, but it was a good game. Yeah. It was sure. a very good game. Um, but. That really felt like a, like a, a proper lull for that series. It felt like yeah. that game came out and it was like, there's no appetite for this right now. Um, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure people, you know, are ready for a new one now. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely ready for a new one. I, what, I thought Blacklist uh, fixed all the problems of, of what, conviction. What what um, would you want a new Splinter Cell game to do? Well, I literally haven't thought about it before right now. Um, <laughs> think I now. <laughs> I want Michael Ironside back, but then he's too old, so I guess I don't want him back. Um, I w- I would like the three green lights on your head, bit of night vision, shooting out some lights, big levels. So yeah, don't consult me for design. Uh, <laughs> would, you, some... would you like that game to become MGS Five? No. Here's here's what I really like about the reboot. It it made everything faster, and and I love the whole killing emotion thing. And you can track targets, uh, and then as you're running, you press a button, and you you kill them all in in one go. Um, you line up all your all your shots, and I love that it, it made Chaos Fury, which was a really slow game at times. It it made it like into a an action film. Yeah, it still required a lot of stuff. You couldn't just go in gun blazing. You'd need to plan before. Yeah, it felt like um, what's that? What's the director who made the the Bourne films? Was it Paul mm, Greengrass? Paul Greengrass. Yeah. yeah, it felt like one of his films. Like, yes, gritty camera, quite low down, and like you say, lots of very physical action, but very, very speedy, very pacey, and yet still because it had those like three, I guess, branches of of of, of approach. What were they called? Were they like ghost? Oh, ghosts. Spider, and Panther? Are we making that up? Assassin and Octopus. Isn't yeah. that Far Cry 
Three? Uh, <laughs> I d- um, uh, <laughs> there were definitely animals. No, it, it was like spider, shark, snake or something. There were three ways of, or, or yeah. three like, rating systems of approach that you could aim for. And one was like completely silent, no kills. One was like the middle ground where you get spotted, you sort the scenario out and you move on. And one was just all that guns blazing kind of thing. Yeah. But like flitting between those three play styles just on the, on, on your like, Route through the through the game was great. Yeah, more of that. And if if you're if you're spotted, it's not the end of the world. You can like, you've got like a, a few seconds to quickly quickly pick him off before yeah. Uh, you know they they sound the alarm, uh, and it was great. You can you know amble up onto drempikes really quickly and go between ledges. Whereas Chaos Fury was was very much oh, it's really slow. Yeah. Um, I get that. That's why people like like that game. But I, I think Stealth's moved on. Do you think that? We kind of, it looks like we might already be getting that game in Ghost Recon. Ghost Recon Wildlands? Wildlands, Yeah, quite Um, fast paced. I think it's a totally different kind of game. Yeah, the the fact that Wildlands is like a big open world multiplayer shooter, it fills a a niche. um, But yeah, I think it's a different kind of game than Spring Mm -hmm. Cell. It won't won't scratch my Sam Fisher itch. Yeah, Sam Fisher itch. You should get that checked out. Uh, I know, it's in a weird place. Um, okay, well, moving yeah. swiftly on to my prediction. <laughs> what is your prediction, Robin? That's in a weird place. Uh, keeping on the theme of CD Projekt Red, I think they're in an interesting spot where they've, they've said there's no more Witcher. They've said Cyberpunk 2077 is not coming at this E3, which um, is their next, like, unbelievably colossal open-world RPG that they're planning. But they are showing something. So the question is, what are they showing? And they've said that it's a new type of game format for the studio, which could be their way of saying, oh, it's a different genre. But I think they are going to do something in VR. I think they're going to do a kind of stopgap thing. And my prediction is it's going to be a sort of cyberpunk VR type thing. It's going to be a VR thing set in the world of cyberpunk that comes out prior to cyberpunk 2077. That's my prediction. Hmm. I think you seem very like, skeptical. I think it's going to be like a mobile game or something, or like a board game. The thing is, though, they'd only do that if it was a Witcher one. And, like, they've... I mean, unless they're just, like, talking nonsense. They have said, like, not just, like, we're not doing another major Witcher game. They've said, like, that's it, we're not doing Witcher stuff. Hmm. Um, we're not announcing a Witcher thing. they said it's a new IP. So Maybe they're just lying. They could just be lying. I mean, you can't trust any game developer, I say. Hmm. Well, I, I hope you're right, because I... Yeah, I, I, all, all we've seen of Cyberpunk so far has been that one... Trailer. It's those trailers, oh, like, trailer. but, but then there was trailer, talk. Yeah. There was talk about whether or not that trailer was representative of any of the game at all. Whether it was, it was like a recruitment video. Or, that's the thing is, it was kind of interpreted as like them being like, "Oh, we're announcing the game," but actually, it was uh, the intention of that trailer was to kind of attract talent to the studio, kind of to say, "Oh, this is what we're working on. Do you want to come and work on it?" Hmm. And I suspect that game was like not even starting to be made really at that mm-hmm. well obviously starting to be made but like I think that project was completely at the concept stage at that point and we yeah. probably won't see Cyberpunk 27, 2077 for like three, four years or something from now on probably, thought. well if it's not at this E3 it'll be next. Yeah I think it'll be at next E3 that's my E3 prediction for next E3. Wow. I'm living on the edge now. What's your E3 prediction for the E3 after that? Um, well I can, mm, can make another prediction for that E3 Go on uh, Assassin's Creed will be at the next E3. What about the next one after that? Uh, Call of Duty. And the next one? Battlefield. And the next one after that? 
another Call of Duty. Thank you, Robin. Um, <laughs> that's it. We've got, we've got the E3 covered. E3 covered for the next Check five, back here years. In five years. Well, that's that's the that's the most packed closed envelope you've probably ever heard. Predictions <laughs> like a, for the next like five E3s. <laughs> but after the predictions, that's all we've got time for on this particular episode. Yeah, so you can uh, you can get our latest issue um, in shops now, three oh five with a. As mentioned, the lovely picture of Adam Jensen on the front. Um, and look out for our next issue coming out on the 14th of July. You can always write into us at uh, uh, gamesmaster at futurenet.com uh, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, post on there. Um, you could get in fan base. You could win a mystery game if you're the star of the month, star letter of the month. Um, or you could get rid of Reddit on the podcast, which will be its own kind of thrill, I'm sure. Ben Griffin is definitely desperate to mention his Twitter account. So how what did it, you know? How can you follow Ben on Twitter? <laughs> um it's at GameGriffin. That is at GameGriffin. That is at GameGriffin. Matt. Uh, I'm at Gmanical. Uh, and you can follow me at uh, at Robin L Valentine. Thanks very much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. See ya. Bye.